right back where I started from, where bowers of flowers bloom in the sun. Each morning at dawning, birdies sing, and everything the sun kissed, kissed, said, soon be late. That's why I can hardly wait. Open up your golden gate, California. We've never really established whether or not there is a an introduction part of the podcast. I feel like we've done real sort of smash entrees into the thing we're talking about. Yeah. Do we introduce ourselves? I don't know if we ever have. How will people know who we are? Well, it's on the it's on the label, like it says on the tin. It's a podcast mm-hmm. about California history, heritage, and culture. Mm-hmm. By Kate Langsdorf. That's you. Yes. Andy Langsdorf, this That's guy right you. here. Okay. I'm pointing at myself with my thumbs. Yeah. And then we just kind of left it at that, I think. And then we're, we're coming to you, uh, what do we say, recorded live on tape? What, how, what's that phrasing? Recorded live to tape, I think. Recorded live the, to tape. Is the way that you do it, there which means go. that we're not going to edit this very much. Right. because that takes more work than i want to put into it i know you're pretty good at just being like well that's done so up it goes i not to get too inside baseball as we start this our our very third episode Uh uh-huh i have a i have a workflow oh yes so i i listen all the way through to the podcasts after they've been recorded because you have another podcast that i also edit that's true which is far more successful than this one is it oh yes good for me yeah and in both cases i listen all the way through and then if there's anything like the the door slamming or somebody accidentally hitting their face on the microphone i'll try to edit that stuff out cool that's it's probably me if anybody denies that the holocaust happened i cut that out (sighs) which doesn't happen on this podcast but man those dramaturgs that's a that's a lie. Hey, that's, since this is only our third podcast, yes. maybe, maybe people don't know. That's not a thing that happens. <laughs> it's a a joke, right? Yeah, yeah. Commonly referred to as a joke. Yeah. Dramaturgs do not deny that the Holocaust happened. They seem like um, one of the more reality based research enthusiast groups that's, in the world. I think a research enthusiast is kind of the the right. Uh, uh, descriptor there. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. So well, now you got a T-shirt idea. Research enthusiast. Ooh, yeah, we got to get a merch shop up. Yeah, for that and for this. Who wants a California accent T-shirt? I certainly do. I want a California accent bandana that I can wear. For what activities? Well, I'm gonna wear it on my head like I'm Bruce Springsteen. Okay. And then I'll I'll make the Bruce Springsteen face while playing guitar and wearing the bandana. That way people know that I'm uh, for the working class. Will you please actually make that? What does it cost to produce a a thematic bandana? I'll have to look into it. I don't know off the top of my head, which I know is difficult to believe. I know. Well, well, now I just feel like we got to hurry up with this podcast so... uh, we can get it recorded and we can get that merch shop up let's you know? finish this boring ass podcast so, so we, we can, can get some bandanas up in here right anyway recorded live to tape from sunny los angeles california thank you for listening to the bandana report we'll see you next week this is kate langsdorf and andy langsdorf coming to you from our table that's not quite in the kitchen nor the living room nor the dining room in the common area by the window where we could cram a table it's in the room that isn't the bedrooms in our apartment. Coming to you from the non-bedrooms. There you go.
in Los Angeles, California. It's California accent. That's good. You did a good job with the the announcery voice. Thank you. I'm trained. Ooh. Which is to say I took a voice class for actors in 1999. I don't think that there have been a lot of uh, breakthroughs in voice acting for actors, though, in that amount of time. So I think that the information that you received in that class is still very fresh. But it was for stage. It wasn't for, like, voiceover. So I think that's what? a whole different semester. I feel like I've been deceived now. I was just told that you were trained at this. Yeah. So, hmm. I'm a liar. <laughs> from beautiful California State University, Long Beach, where I got my Bachelor of Arts. It's California accent. Now I'm getting uncomfortable because you're really... <laughs> You really turned it up to 11 there. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Let's talk Uh, about... um, California? Let's talk about California. Not to say that your vocal training at California State University... That's like the most Californian thing that ever happened. ...is not California because that, yeah, that may be peak California right there for a lot of people. Right there. What I would like to talk about today, first... I like to address the uh, follow-up needs of our previous episode. We had follow-up needs? There are none. Oh, okay, good. See what I did there? Yeah, I do. I do. I see it. I, I saw said, it. I set it up. No, no one had anything to say about it. <laughs> no one had any hot takes about it. I think people far- felt more have? strongly about hamburgers. Oh, we did get some In-N-Out-based feedback? That's right. We did. Yeah. That's we, we went over it. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that there was an understanding mm-hmm. if you leave a comment or text me because usually it's my mom that's leaving me the feedback. Hi, Pam. There is a space for that. And we also have an email address, which is ca oh, underscore at accent me. at gmail.com, I want to say. You know, just send them a, a Twitter message. Because oh, yeah, we got a, a Twitter account, too, which is at ca underscore accent yeah like i know we'll see that like when i think i have a i do i have a gmail address for the other podcast too you do the context i have checked it i think as many as zero times but i've entered it to uh uh, be able to set up various accounts i should see if i have any emails there you don't thank you i've been checking thanks andy sure thing i was going to forward anything to you that you needed oh bless your precious heart yep i'm pretty great Context podcast, technical producer, Andy Langsdorf, everybody. Big round of applause. Covering the waterfront. (laughs) All right, so nobody wanted to talk about Island of the Blue Dolphins or specific rides at Knott's Berry Farm that you were allowed to go on during your fourth grade field trip. Well, everybody can just go straight to hell then. Not really. They can go to the Kingdom of the Dinosaurs ride at Knott's Berry Farm, which is actually really cool if it's still up, still there. I always enjoyed Kingdom of the Dinosaurs specifically during the Halloween haunt because oh. they they did something for it. What did they do? It, I don't remember There were no this. people in masks jumping out at you, but they dressed up the Tyrannosaurus <gasps> Rex as Elvis. That's right. And that was like the only thing, wasn't it? You just go in and T-Rex is wearing a wig? That was basically the only change that they made. Oh they don't, they don't tell you. And he had, he had the sequin jumpsuit on as well. The hole and the sunglasses. But everything else exactly but they as com- they left they it. They completely no-sell it up until that point. And that's kind of like the you know the denouement of, of the entire ride. <laughs> oh, no, it's a T-Rex. Back, and it's Elvis. Back, back. I don't think that it actually had Elvis music playing, but it in my head, like... it does. <laughs> so it's like you come into that last room, and there's the T-Rex, and it's like the, 
That's, that, that sounds like Brian Setzer. I'm all shook up. Oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Brian Setzer might sound a little bit like Elvis. It was early Elvis. Okay. In my head. In your head. In real life, may have still just been T-Rex sounds. <laughs> Hard to say, really. I this was a long time ago. Was. But in the theater of the mind, he was singing the hits. Aww. Elvis number ones. I think the last time I was on that was with you on that one of our first dates in 2001 time. So it was a romantic Halloween uh, uh, Elvis T-Rex experience. Indeed, and it made such an impression on us that we haven't gone back in nearly 20 years. But we got married, so I would like to think it was T-Rex Elvis well, that I mean, sealed we, the deal. We still do a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> now that we're married that we did before we were married, too. We still watch movies. Huh. We still go out to dinner. Yeah. One thing we don't do is go on dates to... Uh, the Halloween haunt at Knott's Berry Farm. I kind of want to, but I just know I'd be met with regret and sadness. I want to take Charlie. That's Not to Halloween haunt. I want I want to take him. I think regret and sadness is actually the theme of this year's Halloween haunt. <laughs> Welcome to Knott's Scary Farm. Oh, because it's not Halloween haunt. That's somewhere else. There's oh. this Knott's Scary Farm. Oh, yeah. That might have been Universal Studios. I just kind of feel like everybody calls their thing Halloween haunt, and nobody calls their shit spooktacular the way I need them to. It needs to, like, come on down to the Halloween spooktacular. It's almost like Halloween Haunt is like Q-Tip or Xerox at this point. You yeah. Know, it may have been somebody's very specific <sighs> trademark at one point, but no longer. It is a generic term. I just gasped because I thought of something. I saw the gasp. If we get, oh, how many dollars would we need? I want to say, like, $65. Okay. I want to go to the, the Queen Mary Halloween spooktacular because there's a bar there, uh, and it is an actual historic yes. site. And it's, so it's like an immersive theatrical, you know, it used to be called Ghosts and Legends of the Queen Mary. That's what, when I was at California State University, Long Beach, uh, all my friends got summer jobs at the, the spooky haunted uh, mm-hmm. Queen Mary. It's, it's been uh, revitalized and is, I think, better. Um, it was pretty schwab. Like it was this awesome old ship with like schwab flashlight uh, on a string moving across the pool like it's haunted and now they've i think uh uh, uh put some effort in um they actually had just a white sheet on like, a pulley system that goes back and forth uh-huh. and you can see the pulley and everything and the sheet doesn't even have eye holes for the ghost it's just a white sheet that's kind of hanging sheet. And then the people that work there have to act like it's really scary. Ooh, did everyone see? <laughs> and you can't break character. You have to be like the 1920s person say, forsooth, what is this device on which you take photos on, on your hand? Oh, God. Oh, was I with... This is kind of all over the place, but all over California. Was it the time that I went to San Simeon with you that we had the tour guide who kept talking like it was 1920s and kind of was dressed like... He was William Randolph Hearst's I don't doppelganger. I think so, because I have never paid the money oh. to go up the hill. Oh. I've been to the visitor center with you. Which, but never to the like estate. Yeah, and I don't want to use all my good San Simeon material now, because we'll certainly do an episode about that at some point in the Lord, future. Lord, I hope so. So let's put a pin in that. Oh, man. But I just, I just need people to understand that there are California attractions where that take place at historic sites where sometimes people will bust into their 1920s voices and i if i'm being honest i want that to be me i want that job 
I also don't want it to be standing too much. Like, I don't want it to be too much. Did they have stools in the 1920s? I don't think so. They hadn't hadn't actually invented uh, uh, regular chairs or stools. Oh, sitting technology was not what it is now. It was all just, uh, uh, like, commonly referred to as fainting couches. Oh, well, what if they could get you a fainting couch that you could just put in the front of the tour bus? Oh, well, it's a it's a it's a walking tour around the house, so they'd have to then put it on wheels. All right, think outside of the well, box. Well, if they would let me just sit on the goddamn antique furniture, I could just flop on every uh, chaise lounge mm-hmm. throughout the entire manor. Just be like, all right, well, I need just to... like Marion Davies would have done. I know, I need to faint for a second, but I'm still going to tell you about how this fella here was Johnny on the spot, and I like to talk like this and tell you about all the things in this house. That's good. That's a better 1920s voice than I did. I was doing bad Renaissance fair guy voice. What did you? I missed it. Did you say forsooth? I did say forsooth, <laughs> like they did in the 20s. <laughs> all right. Well, now that everyone stopped listening, no, let's... we're fascinating. <laughs> Let's talk about why we've all gathered here today. This is a time to talk about California. Right. This is a timely episode about Halloween. I feel like you were offended by my joke when, in fact, it was just a joke that was not meant to offend. And I am here to tell you, Halloween is time sensitive because it's around the corner. That's true. It is around the corner. Do you know what else is around the corner? Nothing that I can think of. There's one one thing. Comes a week later. Uh, well, it's not going to be... Election day, election day, uh, do my election day dance in my chair. Well, uh, 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 that term election time. Uh. Does seem pressing. Right. So oh. that's why today we are talking about the Californian method of direct democracy. Oh, a real bee in your bonnet. It It's a real humdinger. And if I were... A real shazwazer. If I were better educated about it, which I think will happen today, I think it would be a bee in my bonnet, too. Well, we're about to find out. And to be honest with you... Let's go through it together. I, I have a, I would say, complicated relationship with the direct democracy process because I do think that good things have come of it. For sure. If you were to ask my brother, who is a, a history teacher... Here in California. Right here in California. He has a master's degree in history. History education. history education. He's got an education master's. Oh, that's right. His his bachelor's degree is in history. Yeah, you get it right. Don't at me. Um, <laughs> Don't at me, Nick. He wrote a paper of some sort of thesis about <laughs> the broken direct democracy system in California. What kind of what kind of uh, marks did he get on it? They're I like, assume that they were good. He's a good student. Yeah, they're like, no, this is a stupid thesis. He's, <laughs> Your opinions he's are the responsible son, wrong. so I'm sure that he turned it in on time and had the right kerning and whatever it is you're supposed to do to get good grades in college. Get that kerning. Good for him. Yeah, somebody has to do it. It's not going to be me. <laughs> um, so he has strong opinions about this as well, and we're going to find out today, or when this uh, episode releases between now and next week when we record another episode if he listens to the podcast because i'm not going to tell him that we're doing this we're just going to find out together Ooh, sneaky it's a little test (laughs) i don't think he listens but we already told him not to add us so well i was telling everyone not to at me about his degree but then i said don't at me nick so okay i guess at andy you can at me too if you like i want to hear your thoughts here comes the fire truck police car the emergency sound, vehicle. It, yeah, some sort of emergency vehicle. So. Welcome to sunny Los Angeles, California, where we live on a busy street. 
there is a measure on the ballot this year regarding privately owned emergency services there companies. There is. I have. I am of. I'm of several minds on this. I'm of just the one mind. Tell me your mind. Um, well, the, the the initiative is. I don't remember what number it is now. It was oh, one of the. Can, can we put a pin in it and we'll get the little postcard? It was one of the higher numbers. We could, yes. Um, Musical interlude. Let's put a song about California right here. Okay. Here comes a California song. Let's sing you, like, a California song. Okay. This California song won't take very long. It's a big state that is not quite as big as Texas. Certainly not as large as Alaska, but nothing else really is. Unless you're measuring by population, and then we got all you assholes beat. Because we've got so goddamn many people. 40 million people. I think it's actually 44, but I'm not counting. I'm just over here singing, and I got this damn postcard about some ballot initiatives. Okay, hi. Proposition 11. Ooh. On, on this very ballot coming up in early November. If uh, it passes the employees, the drivers, and the medics of privately owned uh, emergency services ambulances mm -hmm. will have to be available to answer calls during their breaks. Mm -hmm. I'm against this. Tell me why you're against it. Well, there's a couple of reasons. The biggest one is that these are for-profit organizations, mm -hmm. and for that reason, if they do not have enough people to cover the needs of their service area, without violating labor law, they need to hire more people. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. Because they're making money. Yeah. This isn't like I am a fireman who works for the county, mm -hmm. and for that reason, I, I am available I've, during my entire shift. I've signed up to take cer certain sacrifices Correct. because I'm a civil servant. And what they get in return for that is a strong pension and a better salary and all that type of stuff. And so there's an understanding there that there's going to be a trade-off of when I'm on schedule, when I'm on duty, I'm on duty. Yeah. But if you're a guy who works for a private organization and during your 15-minute break, that private organization has to do something that will eventually get them paid. Yeah, that's on your private organization. Correct. I, I was thinking of it in terms of specifically like the worker break period versus the am i having a heart attack but i forgot that there's the option of oh you could hire more people they could hire more people mm, they should just hire more people yeah so instead of trying to maximize their profits and get away with as few employees as possible go ahead and get enough people to cover all of the emergencies that you're getting paid to help with it literally had not occurred to me that they need to hire more people. So that's a no for me, dog. Yeah. I was just like, well, I guess don't have a heart attack during that guy's 15-minute break. What if he's on lunch, God forbid? And my thought was like, well, we, you know, what probably needs to happen is that these things need to not be privatized. And, uh, you know, we need to somehow uh, get those services happening at the state and municipal level. But I'm like, but that's not on the ballot. That is not on the ballot. But I can make the employers pay for their employees' breaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, seems. It seems like uh, they're trying to get rich off of heart attacks. 
Yes. Okay. Now, let me just be clear. We are not here today to go down the list of current ballot initiatives. We are not electioneering. We don't want to lose our status as a nonprofit house of worship here at the <laughs> California Accent Podcast. <laughs> Praise be to the podcast. Uh, but we are here in an educational capacity to talk a little bit about how we arrived at the type of discussion that you and I have just had about one of the 11 propositions that are going to be on the ballot this November. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's even though there are, it does go through Proposition 12, but they took what, number find three off? That what they take off? Proposition 9 was removed by the uh, state Supreme Court. Ah. And Proposition 3 is the one that the California Democratic Party has not taken a position on. Oh, which one is that? That's the one about the uh, bond to pay for water infrastructure in the Central Valley. Oh, yeah. Which would directly benefit corporate farming in the Central Valley and not so much benefit the people who are paying for the bond. Okay. So that's okay. another instance. That Yeah, that one I was Where, in my about. opinion, if you make a lot of money growing almonds out there and you need help with new pipes for your water dog that's coming out of your profits that's how that works because mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i just looked at it as like oh water infrastructure obviously yes like we need infrastructure but specifically for the benefit of like three guys right uh yeah it'd be a different, different. sort of thing if, if the entire like, state was going to benefit from this but the entire state is not or like a metropolitan area or even just a a rural area well, i'd say people yeah not the entire state but just the people of the state the, right the people of the state okay mm-hmm. so that's an, that's another one again not electioneering this is a nonpartisan house of worship <laughs> all uh, right so let's let's talk a little bit about how this goes down here in this very state and what i'll tell you is that ballotpedia mm-hmm. which is a very useful and informative website it is not ballotopedia what is it that? It is not Ballotopia. That Those was, are not real things. Those right? aren't real things. Great. It's it's just you could it's be like, confused because it's not a real word anyway. Right. It's like don't point. go to Ballotopedia because that is porn. I mean, it probably is porn. I haven't checked, but I'm betting there's some porn on that. But website. is okay. But wait, is it like a election themed porn? Because if I'm gonna watch porn, that might be if it's got like a really good storyline. Like, I want it to be real hot and about elections, right? hot for democracy man yeah, count those votes <laughs> oh no it's a it's gonna be a runoff so there are chicka <laughs> okay this is a three-way race if you know what i'm saying <laughs> oh my god okay somebody please buy up ballotopedia and when it's good when it's tasteful text me <laughs> okay so ballotpedia <laughs> has listed six types of common direct democracy in the United States. There is one other type of direct democracy that is only used in one state. What is it? I don't remember anymore. I think it was Pennsylvania, uh, but which what? they're not even a state. They're a commonwealth. Yeah. What What different kind was it? I don't, I don't you're remember. Just, you're just throwing out like half facts. <sighs> Professor. You're, uh, you're a little standoffish with me oh, today about, about this, this topic. I, I... I don't know. The elections are really high stakes. I like you, though. Yeah, but we don't live in Pennsylvania, so it didn't really matter for our purposes. Fine. 
how will our Pennsylvania listeners know what we kind don't of democracy they're listening in? So if people in Pennsylvania do start listening, I'll see if I can look that up for you. <laughs> if they start listening specifically so they can learn how to vote in Pennsylvania while listening to California accent. Right. Great. Okay, so there it. are six types of common direct democracy in the United States. Mm-hmm. There is the legislatively referred statute, mm-hmm. which in common terms is when the state legislature does not want to make a decision on something. <laughs> and so they say, here, voters, you decide. There is also the legislatively referred amendment, which is the same sort of thing, except now you're amending the state's constitution. Is that what we're doing? No. Okay. No, there are no amendments uh, this year, I don't recall. Yeah. There is the initiated statute, which is the most direct type of direct democracy, because that is where you, as a person, can say, I'm going to gather signatures mm-hmm. because I think this should be a law in this state. Mm-hmm. And if you gather enough signatures, and we'll talk about what those thresholds are later, you can get, for a low, low price, because you do have to pay in order to get this going, mm-hmm. you can get your initiative on the ballot. That's us, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's us. I've signed to put things on the ballot before. There is the initiated amendment, which, same type of idea... Any citizen in California, if they have enough gumption and moxie and paid signature gatherers, they can get a constitutional amendment Mm. on the ballot for people to vote on in the state of California. The legislature can't do anything about that. Okay. There is the veto referendum, which is kind of the opposite, where you could say, we the people are going to vote against this thing that you, the government, have already done. You've made this a law. We're going to veto it. Okay. Do we do that here? Yes. We do all these things that you're saying here? We can? Let me let me get to the punchline. <sighs> okay. And there is the recall. Oh, yeah. Direct democracy option where you can, again, gather enough signatures and have the standing of any state elected officer put to the voters before their term has ended and say... We don't want you to have that job anymore. We don't care that you had three years left in your term. Mm. So statutes and amendments, both legislatively referred and initiated, veto referendums, and the recall. Okay. California does all six of these. Damn. There are only eight states that do all six. Cool. Are we in good company? It is a largely Western concept. Okay. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I, I agreed when I because I looked at that too, and I wanted to see if there was some sort of trend as far as what are the states that are, are doing this, and like you assume that it's not going to be Mississippi, and it turns out it wasn't. It's not Mississippi. We don't want the people of Mississippi deciding what actually goes on in Mississippi. Get out of here. Yeah. So well, so this it's your your Californias, your Washingtons, mm-hmm. your Mountain uh, states. Mm-hmm. A lot of those have a lot of direct democracy. I'm trying to remember which ones specifically are all, all sixers. Seems like a Colorado thing. They, it's they a Colorado thing. That's got to be how yeah. that happened. Yeah. So it, it's. Um, I want to say it was seven out of the eight were it's all like Sunset west of the Mississippi territory. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. Even that's true. Even farther west than west of the Mississippi, Sunset Magazine territory for okay. sure. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's its own. That's its own sort of thing right there. Um. So that seems kind of like the opposite of what you got going on in. Georgia right now at least ideologically because they've got that that governor race and they're purging voters off the roll 
and it's like it's it's different but it seems like it's part of the same like political uh or the other side of 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 this political ecosystem where Mm. it wasn't uh who was who was it the governor or the state secretary was saying that they're they have concerns that uh georgians will exercise their right to vote and so they're trying to work. Yes. Which, Every, which everything said you've that? said there is true. And they're all about the same guy, which is Brian Kemp. That's right. Who He's... is the secretary of state of Georgia, who is running to be the governor. And as the secretary of state is overseeing his own uh, election for governor. Like he's the one making sure it's fair. And he's yes. just like taking everybody in Gwinnett County off the rolls. Yeah, and everyone kind of assumed when, in his statement, he said that he was going to make sure it was a fair election and fair was in square, scare quotes. Was it actually in scare quotes? No, okay. <laughs> like, that's probably a typo or something. But turns out, mm, not so much. So, yes, Brian Kemp is both purging voter rolls as quickly as he can and... Uh, now fighting in court to make sure that he can keep those people off the voter rolls and also was recorded in a private fundraising dinner saying that there was the concern that Georgians would exercise their right to vote because that wouldn't go well for he and the people who wanted him elected. Yeah. And I know that that's, that's not down to the way the state has been constructed uh, uh, in in terms of of civic practice, that's a that's an individual candidate who happens to have yeah, it the rep- right. It represents power. a very old way of thinking about how people get elected in this country. Yes, because this is why California ended up where it is right now because there were activists that felt very strongly about how laws were being made, how people were being elected that was not reflective of the will of the people. Mm-hmm. In fact, the guy that I want to tell you about, who is probably the father of direct democracy in California at the very least, Mm -hmm. is a guy named John Haynes. Okay. And he was not from here originally. He moved to L.A. in 1887 from Philadelphia. Ooh, okay. And he was a doctor. And so he got to L.A., started a new doctor's practice, became very successful as a doctor, took his money from doctoring, invested in real estate, became a player on the L.A. political scene. Because now he's a rich guy, people care what he has to say. Oh, I want to be a rich guy. People will care what you have to say oh. when you're a rich guy. That's still true, I think. That is still true. Can I pretend? Can I Can I do like... Um... If I just start like dressing fancier and being like, well, I have a lot of money. It would uh, it wouldn't hurt. You'd be able to trick some people. Do you for think sure. I'd be able to trick people into giving into listening to me in a way that actually then got me money? Because that I seems like that a thing. Is also possible. Okay, I'm gonna work on I think that this. is the confidence man game. Oh wait, does con man is that short for confidence man? It is. Yes. Holy shit! So you come in all confident, like hello. I am certainly very rich. Actually, my understanding is it's the opposite of that. The confidence is what you inspire in the people that you're grifting. So so they are confident in their decision to give you the check. Trust me, brother. Right. I'm very rich. Despite the fact that all you're going to do is steal their money. <laughs> oh, man. I don't want to steal any money. Well, I guess I want to, I want to obtain it under a, 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 a non-forthright conditions where maybe I'm not go outright saying 
well, I am a, a bajillionaire, and mm -hmm. therefore, if you give me your money, I'm going to turn it into more money. But I just want to give that impression. It's a read between the lines. Yeah, sort of thing. like, well, if you thought that I was a, a wealthy robber baroness, that's really on you. I never said that. I just led you to believe that in 47 different ways. Anyway, thank you for the check. Goodbye. So it's going to be the sort of thing where, like, in the sixth sense, there were all the clues that Bruce Willis was dead, but you didn't really put them all together until right? the end. It's going to be the same sort of thing. Like, we knew that she, we could tell. There were all these signs that she wasn't actually a rich person, but now here we are, and we're out our money, and she is rich now. So here's one thing I could tell you about the 1880s. That's the twist. You couldn't really do the pretending in the 1880s. I suppose that's true. Because you needed to be at least wealthy enough to hire a laundress. Mm. Um, this is something I know from uh, <laughs> from my social studies education life, um, working at uh, old-timey museums. Um, so the first thing you would do if you were trying to get your, like, if you're coming, you know, new to the country, you opened up your whatever shop, you're, you're, you're scrappy and, and climbing the ladder. Mm -hmm. The very first, uh, uh, middle-class expense you get is somebody to do your laundry because everything else you can fake, but you can't fake having, you can't fake if you've got your, like two outfits. Yeah. You can't fake your clothes being clean. You can't fake your clothes being clean. So, right. um, Sounds so like I a have a investment. washing machine. Is the second thing the calling card? I assume. I or well, monocle. It's either going to be your calling card or your monocle. I wonder if perhaps... there are any haberdashers that sold them in a set. <laughs> you save five percent if you get them together. We're just yes, saying. Just saying. Um, but I that's a that was an East Coast uh, thing. I don't know if that maybe there was a mark of pride in ye old wild west they're like yeah i'm a real even though people probably weren't trying to prove that they were real cowboys being out here because everybody who was out here had to have a certain amount of grit to have yeah set to, up shop. to have arrived here from philadelphia in the mid to late 1800s is the other john c fremont where'd he come from We'll talk about John C. Fremont in a future episode. Oh, I want to talk about John C. Fremont There's a lot now. to talk about there. If we if okay. we diverge now, this is going to be a 10-hour long podcast. Yes. People love 10-hour long podcasts. I know. So here's the thing about uh, Dr. Haynes, mm -hmm. Dr. John Haynes, who is now in L.A., mm -hmm. successful doctor, mm -hmm. made some money in real estate. Mm-hmm getting a little bit of localized power here's mm -hmm. the twist right because this is a story that you could tell about a lot of people coming out west in that time frame where they made their fortune mm -hmm. turns out john haynes was a little bit of a power to the people sort of guy and Ooh. and maintained that even once he was wealthy what a twist yeah he his wife was a suffragist Ooh. And he was into that. Wait, in like 1880? Yeah. <gasps> like er, early goings. Nice. And so what I would say is that John Haynes was probably about as woke as a white guy in <laughs> the 19th century was going to be. Mm -hmm. And so what he did with his money and newfound power was he helped found the California branch of the Direct Legislation League, which had started in our West Coast brother, Oregon. Which is another one of those all the direct democracy states. Oh. And Oregon to this day is actually still a little bit ahead of us as far as the power of the vote goes. Because How so? I think they're still the only state that does one hundred percent mail in ballots. Oh yeah. Yeah, you're you're gonna have a hard time uh uh keeping people from the polls if they can mail their ballot in. Yeah. And California has a very liberal voter registration pro uh, process. Mm -hmm. 
uh, lowercase l. Yeah, yeah. Because there is now the the motor voter law, which is the DMV. All you have to do is check a box when you're taking care of DMV stuff, and they'll say, and we'll also register you to vote. Yes. You can vote by mail, permanent absentee status, without any reason except that you want to. That's in what California. I do. Mm-hmm. Even though sometimes I do like to go hand in my mail-in ballot, and just because like. Oh, this feels like an important election. I want to be here. You want to be for part it. of the process. Yeah. Sure. But last time I did that, it didn't go my way, and so I'll, I'm fine voting from yeah, here. Yeah. So now, for luck reasons, we'll go ahead and use the postal yeah, service. It's, it's it's my lucky. You don't. Uh, voting you don't practice. have to put a stamp on on the mail-in ballot. Do you have to in other states? I think in some states <gasps> you do. Scandal. You know what I learned? No. Related to all this. What? Uh, so our mail-in, our permanent absentee ballots come with I voted stickers. They do, yes. That you could affix, I assume, either when you mail it in or Any old place you day. want to. Uh, 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 Twitter friends in Utah put in their mail-in ballot and noted that they were just so sad that they don't have the sticker to, to go with that. And that seems downright un-American to me. Like, you give your absentee mail-in ballot voters a sticker... Yeah. Because that's what we're here for today. Yeah, it seems like they need to get a ballot initiative about that up in Utah. Right? It's a sticker. Come on. I, I was so, uh, 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 like, offended by, and still am so I can offended tell. You're, you're, by you're this. You're getting all hot right now. About I it. am all hot about this. Get it together, Utah. It's the least you can do. Getting steamed over here. People want to flaunt their, their, their civic pride, their patriotism there are all those things and you're all no stickers well the funny thing is that even in your your more civically active states voter turnout is still very low right so, so we're and in utah there aren't that many people we're only talking about a couple hundred thousand stickers probably like go to vistaprint maybe a million tops i bet vistaprint would give you a pretty sweet deal yeah that's a that's a bulk order you'll do just fine on that get your shit together utah they will all still have the Vistaprint logo at the bottom of the I Voted sticker. <laughs> I voted for Vistaprint. Yeah. And Vistaprint is now one of the senators from Utah. <laughs> Always introducing legislation about business cards. They say everybody should have business cards. It's weird. <laughs> so John Haynes successfully uh, got ratified into the new Los Angeles City Charter in 1903, a, de- a direct democracy element. Okay, so that was for L.A., but it wasn't statewide. So the people of Los Angeles had much more say in the way that their city government was being run at the turn of the last century. But John Haynes and his bros did not quit there. Good. They took it to Sacramento, and they were able to bring about changes to both the primary system in California and made that more populist so that people could vote for who their... Uh, election day uh, political party uh, options would be okay because prior to that the party the party decided, decided. Like, mm-hmm. you're voting for this guy and like and what, I, don't, I, don't really, so, I don't really like that guy so it would be like it doesn't matter you are a wig and now you're gonna yeah vote for so him. was it like the 47 guys in the wig party who were the representatives would like have mm-hmm, a meeting mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. decide the like, party oh. leaders uh-huh. who would I think in a lot of cases, not even necessarily be official And they wouldn't be, people. they're not elected, are it, they? They were just they like were not. some no, guys. No, it was the official smoke-filled back room sort of scenario okay. where they, they smoke cigars and they come out and slap each other on the backs and they say, and we like, decided it was Bill's it. turn, yeah. right? Because he told me that he'd give me all this land in the Central Valley to grow almonds. Oh. 
And so that was a new primary system, a new initiative system, referendum and recall amendments all added to the California state constitution in 1911. Ooh. So we've been doing direct democracy in California for over 100 years now. Yes. So we're doing pretty good on, on that front. Right. Things uh, eventually got a little weird because we talked about the three types of, uh, the six types of initiatives that can end up on the ballot and how there's a certain number of those that can be uh, placed there by the people if they get enough signatures. Okay. And I, I dropped a little bit of a statement about this. This is not just a volunteer thing. You can pay to get the signatures. You can pay, well, you pay people to go door to door or like you pay for the signatures? You can't pay for the signatures, okay. but you can pay for people to gather the signatures. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it does seem like whoever has the most funding right. can definitely get the most signatures. It's not, it's not, it's not purely direct, direct democracy because it's not necessarily a grassroots thing at that point. I have a question. Because if I work for Conglomo Corp uh-huh. and I want to get an initiative on the ballot that will benefit Conglomo Corp, I could throw $5 million at that and get it on the ballot. Right. And then you knock on every I could door. run ads yeah. as part of my unrelated political super PAC talking about how great this initiative would be for the people of California, even though it doesn't really benefit them, it only benefits Conglomo Corp. Yeah. So with all these um, ballot initiatives, it seems like the thing to do is to go through and see who paid to get the signatures to get this on the ballot, mm -hmm, or mm -hmm, if it was paid, or if people just got real fired up and got together. Yes. And one thing that, so that was a concern, and what you would see, I'll include a link to this chart that shows the number of initiatives by decade mm -hmm. in California. And, you know, it starts off 1910. Mm -hmm. There were none. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps going up every decade until, uh, I want to say the, the peak was in the 70s. And things have gone down since then. So, what happened in the 70s? People just really got their panties in a bunch. I mean, that was true about just a lot of things in the, the 70s, around. I think. It was it was that time of, yeah. time in American history. I, mean, I still feel like my panties are in a bunch about the 70s, and I wasn't even born until the early 80s. So, so. Just imagine if you lived through it. I know. The changes that have been made that this is me making some assumptions and educated guesses. I don't know for sure this is true, but mm -hmm. what I noticed was I think the reason that ballot initiatives have declined in in the last generation are a couple of things. The first is the number of signatures that you need is tied directly to the number of people that voted in the previous gubernatorial election. Oh, oh, gubernatorial. Uh, yes. Okay. So because that number keeps going up, the number of signatures you need also continues mm -hmm. to go up, and that makes it just a higher bar to get over to be able to slip something onto the ballot. Mm -hmm. Like, you got to really be committed. The other one, I don't think this is that big of a deal. The price did go up. So I mentioned you have to have a certain number of signatures, and you have to pay. Okay. You only had to pay $200 oh, okay. for a very long time. It is now up to $2,000. Okay. Well, if you are the kind of person who had who can get, you know, five hundred bajillion signatures, you could probably find enough people to put two hundred or two thousand dollars into a pool to get that right. to Sacramento. So I I feel that is, you know, 
it wasn't tied to inflation necessarily because it was two hundred dollars for a right. hundred years, and then it went up to two thousand. I don't think that's a reason that things aren't getting on the ballot necessarily, but it, it was a, a change that was made. And then the last thing, and this is a relatively recent move, so this wouldn't explain that decline earlier on, but definitely it's continued to go down. Mm-hmm. There is now a law that ballot propositions have to be on even-year general election ballots. Oh, so it can't just be You can't stick every, it into some year. weird off-year primary and try to slip one through <laughs> when only 3% of people are voting. Yeah, that's a good idea. And I'm going to take an additional step out into a limb with this and say, especially if that was your technique, you were probably getting some initiatives passed that were taking advantage of the people that do vote in off-year primary elections, which are old people. Mm-hmm. And there could have been some baiting and switching going on and mm-hmm. some lying on various types of media. Right. So if you're ju- if it's an off-year election and you're just like prop 13 is is the only one that'll help your children call you. Yeah, it's like the they call it the grandchildren must visit proposition. <laughs> uh, that's right. Your grandchildren will have to visit if this proposition passes and in fact what it was doing was giving all of the state's mineral rights to Conglomo Corp. Okay. Yeah, that like, seems like a big That sounds switch. good. I want to see my grandkids more. And next thing you know, we don't own any of our zinc anymore. <laughs> yeah. Our precious, precious zinc. Okay. Um, are we going to get back to the, the, the primary, the, the how we pick primary candidates for uh, presidential elections? Is the that primary it? candidates for presidential elections? Uh, yeah. Right? Yes. Tell, tell me more about what you want to know about that. Well, I was just wondering if it's if I if I wanted to jump back in on something you said. I don't know. You've got an outline. Yes. You're you're way more organized about this. But feel than free I am. feel free to just bring this up and we can address it. Okay. Whether it's related to this at all. So the thing about being able to choose your you know who your party is going to send to uh, uh, the presidential election. Uh, well, you keep saying presidential election, and I don't what, think that's what we're really talking. What about. What do I mean? Like, you might just be talking about statewide offices because the uh, presidential election is a whole other ball of wax. So that, oh, well, we, but we do, well, we do we presidential do, we elections We do have a primary for presidential elections in California, but those are partisan primaries. Right. So, but and, not, and our every, primary not system, every state is a partisan primary. Is that right? Or that, is that is also correct. Okay. So we do, so we do it in a way where you have to be registered for, well, you have to you if you're registered as a as not as as not independent because the independent party in and California actually, is to to be honest I'll have to look into this and amend this if need be because what I can tell you is we were not here for the last presidential primary that's true I'm going off it, of old data it may have changed since then and the presidential primary could also be nonpartisan in California now but oh. for uh, statewide and state federal elections so representatives and senators in california we have what they refer to as a non-partisan blanket primary okay which is also colloquially the, referred the to as primary. the jungle primary which yes. i much prefer the name of the jungle primary it's kind of like getting your hamburger animal style yes so this is this is what um part of what interests me is that that seems unusual that you could just like 
you know, you go vote for the the guy you like the most or mm-hmm. the lady guy. Uh, and so you could end up with two, well, in California, with two Democrats uh, uh, running against each other for yes. a state senator. There have been a couple of instances in northern inland California where you have ended up with two Republicans mm-hmm. because that is the the most Republican area of the state. But by and large, what's happened is your the the real race in the primary now is will a Republican beat the second Democrat to get onto the general ballot? Mm-hmm. Funny enough that you ask this because that was a result of Prop 14 passing back in I want to say it was 2011. Oh, okay. Oh, so that's new. So that's that wasn't. That's how it a relatively was new thing. Before. It wasn't like that when we first lived here. The primaries were partisan. So mm-hmm. on primary day, we would go to the election place and then be like, "Are you a Republican or a Democrat?" Or or unaffiliated. And if you're unaffiliated, you could pick either ballot, but you can't vote like you can't vote in both. This is true because I was for a short period of time, right, like right when I turned eighteen. I was registered as um, not the California Independent Party or whatever that thing is because that's uh, like some weird nationalist. Uh, yeah, it's a trick. Well, there's the Peace and Freedom Party. It's not. It was which is farther left than the Green Party. Yeah, there's something that's then, like the Independence. Yeah, the Party? American Independence Party. That's it. Yeah, you don't want that. Which is farther right than the Republican Party. Yes, but if you are, if you register as unaffiliated, you know, so independent, mm-hmm. um, then you can pick your ballot that was at least the case in 2000 okay so here which is also not the case in most states in most states that have a partisan primary and i i saw this happen when i went to vote when we lived in maryland the guy in front of me stood in line for the primary got up to the front and they're like which political party are you in so we know which ballot to give he's like i'm an independent they said you don't get to vote today oh because that's not how primaries work here. Son of a... So, so as a person who was uh, uh, theoretically nonpartisan, but in practice a uh, hippie, uh, I think you've heard this story because it is the worst of my proc- uh, experiences with democracy so far. Um, I registered when I was still 17 and living at my parents' house. Not like fraudulently, mm-hmm. just like, they were like, oh, you're almost 18? You could register now. And then it'll kick in on your 18th birthday. Which, is, like, a, which is a true thing. And like, that sounds great. I'm going to vote so hard for for the nonpartisans. Great. So that was all set up. Got to California State University, Long Beach, uh, my freshman year. Um, and there were people registering students to vote, just like out on the quad, um and you know you get stopped uh on your way to class like hey are you registered to vote with your current address I'm like i am registered to vote but not with my current current address i'm so glad you're here friend uh i want to be able to vote here in long beach um and he's he's like okay um because it was the upcoming primary and uh and, and he's like will you register um uh he's like can i get you to register a republican I said, no, I'm an independent. And he's like, well, you could vote in the presidential election. You could vote for whoever you want. And if you register as a Republican, I get $3. I'm like, no, I really don't want to do that. And he's like, come on. Can you just. This was the point when you should have walked away. Vote however you want. Yeah, I know, right? But I was a very polite, barely. All all the signs were there. I know. I was. 
she's just like, come on, fine, fine. Yes, I mean, I guess you can vote how you can register whatever, whatever, fine. Register whatever party you want to. Guess I'm not going to get $3 today. Um, I'm like, thank you, I will register. (laughs) I will just update my address. Thank you, sir. Um, Then the the primary came up and I go to my Long Beach polling place. Um, I'm like, hi, I'm registered independent. They say, okay, which ballot would you like? Would you like the, uh, the... a Democrat or Republican, like I'll have a, a Democratic ballot, please. And they're like, wait, wait, I don't. You're not actually. No, you can't. You're not here. You can't. You can't vote in this one. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, uh, no, you're not. And I can't remember if it was you're registered as a Republican or you're just not on these rolls. Um, but I knew like what I had to have been registered because I knew what polling place to go to down the street. Like mm-hmm. I, that was assigned. Sounds like the guy got his $3 th- after I all. I think he got his $3. And so I think, I can't remember if I didn't vote or if I, because I don't remember like what Republican I voted for. I don't, I think I might've just gone, oh, weird. And like, I don't I can't remember if I just didn't take a ballot or if I just did my best with what I had. Um, but there, there was something about it that made that led me to believe that perhaps I was still registered at my parents' house. So then, in the governor recall, I went and voted at my old polling place in Irvine. Yeah, we'll get to recalls in a minute. I know we will. So I get there. I'm like, "Hi, this is my name. This is my address. I think everything. I think I might be registered as a Republican. I don't think I had to tell him at that point because it it wasn't a primary. So it's just like, mm-hmm. "This is me and my address." And they're like, oh, no, you're not registered here. Like, okay, I'm glad I drove, you know, 45 minutes to not vote again. It's a good thing that that wasn't a race that came down to one vote, huh? I know, right? (laughs) Um, So then I I think uh, in front of an Albertsons in uh, uh, Irvine or Tustin, California, hi, it's the next election. Would you like to register to vote? I'm like, can I register for whatever party I want? And the lady's like, yeah like okay give it to me yeah it sounds like somebody was actually a volunteer yeah and not, uh, not being paid per head uh so that's the story of how i got confidence manned out of two elections yeah. two goddamn elections so my advice to uh any listeners out there i would say don't register in any of these fashions where there's somebody who comes up to you with a clipboard because you can do it through the dmv you can do it now online very easily yeah and voter registration times have passed in california right for the upcoming midterm election but in future yeah you could still register now and it'll kick in for the next election but there is still a way if you're not registered that you could vote in california you just have to something 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 in person i don't remember what it is it's something to do with a blood oath i think yeah anyway google that but there is still a way that you can vote if you're not registered in the upcoming election yeah, so uh, speaking of the nonpartisan blanket primary, mm-hmm. which was passed via Prop 14 only, well, less than a decade ago now, that passed 54-46. It's a statewide referendum. Mm-hmm. The constitutionality of that was challenged. Mm. You can guess by who. Mm-hmm. And that uh, it was upheld. No, no problems there. All right, so it's so that is direct democracy is fine. Is what that means, or which part? Well, the constitutionality of the nonpartisan blanket primary, okay, has been challenged, <laughs> and it has been upheld. Okay, so that's not going anywhere anytime soon. And what we have found then is, as I mentioned earlier, 
Now the real question during most of our at least statewide primaries is will a Republican even get on the ballot for November? Mm -hmm. And what we found in this year is a little bit of a mixed bag because for the Senate race, a Republican did not get onto the ballot in November. So it is the Democratic incumbent versus a Democratic challenger. Mm -hmm. For the governorship, a Republican did get on the ballot. Mm -hmm. So that is a traditional November election where right. you can vote between a Democrat or Republican. But the other thing that you find from this is you don't have that option of the third party vote. So if you are a member of the Green Party or the Peace and Freedom Party or the American Independence Party, you're probably never going to get a chance to vote for your guy in the general election anymore. Yeah, even though isn't part of the point of it that it does, by by making it a jungle primary, you, you kind of open it up to the theoretically to third party candidates if I it's think, just like here's a list of 20 people who's your favorite yeah i think that's the idea behind it but in practice it is not happening yeah well i think in practice there isn't an, a plurality of people who want the third party candidate no there are some people that feel very strongly that people do want that and those people are proven wrong time and again yeah that's true but they really want it and so they feel like their opinion has to be shared by a plurality of other people i get that it's kind of like how I feel like most people must be secretly by at least a little bit. Because I'm like, well, like, I like dudes and ladies. So probably if you're telling me that you don't, there's it's just that you're lying. And vaguely, you know. Same thing? It's probably exactly like that. Yeah. yeah. And in, in both cases, I think. I most, know it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, most empirical data suggests that that is not correct. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Most people are real strong uh, one way or the other on that Kinsey scale. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I don't think everybody's as much of a one or a seven as they, they're claiming. I think there are a lot of like 1.8s out there. I think this is zero to six. Whatever it is. Because I think zero is you are just, you're straight up straight. Straight up. Oh, so straight. Yeah. I'd like to share a couple of other notable uh, direct democracy things that have happened in California via the proposition uh, process. Mm -hmm. So that was Prop 14, relatively recent one. Even more recently, Prop 64, which you may recall was the recreational marijuana proposition. Oh, that's right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, that passed just this past general election so the last one uh, 2016 5743 mm, it's pretty pretty big uh pretty big gap there it it never really was in doubt that that was going to pass so as soon as it was on the ballot like, california's gonna have legal weed bro and i think there's probably a couple of reasons for that one is that colorado did kind of pave the way mm -hmm. and when after i think it was two years because I think it was 2014 that Colorado did their marijuana legalization. And two years later, not only was Colorado still there <laughs> and functional, and mm -hmm. it wasn't just a smoldering pit of, of burnouts, but they also had been making a lot of money on taxing legal marijuana. Mm -hmm. So that proposition, Prop 64, included why this was beneficial for the state from a financial perspective. So it wasn't just... Marijuana is legal. We'll figure out the rest later. But that proposition included a sales tax mm -hmm. and a grow tax. Mm -hmm. So they were getting to double dip on revenue for the state by passing this. 
And so I think that while 57% of Californians aren't necessarily interested in smoking marijuana themselves, they are interested in the state government being solvent. Yeah. I love it. Love and solvency. I, uh, I think also that, you know, that's the sort of thing that California was pretty early on the medicinal marijuana thing, which was another proposition that passed, and that mm. was in the 90s. Really? Was it that early on? Yeah, if I recall correctly. Hmm. I didn't write that one down because it seems like ancient history at this point. Like, right. well, California's always had medicinal marijuana. <laughs> I remember thinking of it as being kind of a new thing, but... It, I want to say it was like 98. Well, I think I might have only uh, realized that I was uh, potentially, well, not potentially, very much eligible for such a thing when we when we moved back here. And so I got my card and... <clears throat> sorry. It's okay. emotional, I know. Yeah, I, I, just, I just love wheat. Actually, I, it makes me sleepy. I wish that I liked it more because I think it really does help with, like nerve pain <laughs> it also really helps you sleep it does not help me sleep it keeps me up i forget to go to bed and then i am like hung over all the next day hmm. you know that's true you know um but i think you know i think if i experimented more i'd know like what blend is the whatever let me restate it helps me sleep yeah it helps you sleep it because i'm i'm still trying to figure out how to use weed to increase my productivity and i haven't figured that out yet hmm. So I understand anyway, uh, if, if we have like if anybody wants to call in with the right weed blends, preferably edibles, because. Yeah, you're not uh, a fan of smoking. I don't things. I don't want to get a scratchy throat. Yeah. Clove cigarettes, though, that's just, a that's a different thing. Well, you know, it's just a it's a mark of middle age in this. Uh, I know. This workaday world. Right? Where we're like, oh, but my throat will be a little bit my sore. My throat will so be sore. And that I'm, doesn't uh, sound like fun. I, it'll make me just feel like I have allergies all day. Anyway, I'm cool. Invite me to your parties. So weed is legal here. Weed is legal via the proposition process. Not all propositions, though, have increased freedom statewide. Mm -hmm. There have been some propositions that were, um, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say bad. Yeah. Was it Prop 22? As, as far uh, even maybe evil. Yeah, yeah. So, for instance, the best example of this, I think, was in 1994, there were two propositions that were passed that seemed mad dickish i think is the term i would use i don't so remember these. the I was first one yet. was proposition 184 which is uh the three strikes law oh yeah that was mad dickish that is mad dickish and what the street the three strikes not the street thrikes law but mm -hmm. the three strikes law required was that for somebody who is convicted of a third felony uh they that murder your family. They be required to serve a life sentence for <sighs> that third felony. And they could not be released on parole for at least 25 years. Mad dickish. Yes. Because it ended up being a lot of uh, nonviolent mm -hmm. drug use crimes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, because the... the like marijuana the, that's now legal? The term that they used was for all violent or serious crimes. So serious is not uh, measurable, Seems really. kind of up to the interpretation of reactionary judges to yeah. me, or the district attorney. Uh, there have since been uh, softenings of that law. That law's still on the books, actually. Mm-hmm. But future ballot initiatives caused it to be revised because after a little while people are like yeah we're throwing people in jail for a long time for real dumb reasons yeah and also it's expensive to put people in jail for their entire lives even if you don't have any like compassion for you know poor people or their families or yeah. 
anything. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's kind of sad that you have to make that argument. Yeah. Like, let's look at this from a financial perspective right. instead of let's not be total monsters to our fellow man. But that was how they were able to soften that law up a right. little bit. Well, something that I've heard you say before that I think is, is true when it comes to voting is, I don't know how to tell you that you should care about other people. Like, so let's say that that's off the table. Yeah. Here's how it will save you money, you monster. <laughs> so the the other law from the same ballot, 1994, that was actually a, a bigger deal at the time, and it made national news, was Prop 187. Do you remember this one? I remember hearing about it. I can't remember what it was. Prop 87 was the initiative. That 87 or 187? 187. Uh-huh. Was the proposition that would prevent illegal immigrants from receiving public benefits. Oh. And that w- that included, like, kids going to public school? Was uh-huh. that? Yeah. Okay. And this was a real rallying cry for the state Republican Party. We had a, a Republican governor at the time, Pete Wilson, who was a big proponent of this uh statute passing i thought you were gonna say bigot which might also i I can't know his heart katie i can't know his heart either but but one can assume yeah based on actions so it seems again mad dickish that thing passed 5941 okay but basically as soon as it passed there was a permanent injunction placed against it in federal court oh good the state uh which was eventually no longer under the control of the Pete Wilsons of the world, has chosen not to ever appeal this. Great. So I think it's still officially a California law that has had a federal injunction placed against it that is just sitting somewhere in legal limbo. (laughs) Collecting cobwebs on its essence. So effectively, it's not a law. It never went to trial. Mm Mm-hmm. And we never had to go back to the ballot box and say, 187 was kind of a dick move, guys. Let's right. let's do something slightly different. We don't have to admit that we're wrong. We just be like, oh, well. Which I think is the way that everybody wants it. It was a, it was a heated time Yeah. In, in California state politics to the extent that our current Democratic senator, who is on the ballot this year, Dianne Feinstein, um, she was in a little bit of a pissing contest with her Republican opponent, Michael Huffington, if I recall correctly, oh, who that sounds familiar. Is, was the husband of Ariana Huffington yeah. of the Huffington Post. He was a Republican. She was with him on this at the time. They eventually split and she became a liberal firebrand, uh-huh. funny enough. Uh, but Feinstein and Huffington were in a battle about who was less for illegal immigrants. Well, a lot of my lefty friends, um, you know, when we get into the circular firing squad like we do, um, are still uh not putting support behind diane feinstein for the upcoming race they're going because they remember 1994 they remember 1994 and fair play i love her i think that she's definitely redeemed her uh uh 1994 conservatism and i like that she gets along with uh the people who are mad dickish enough to be able to uh you know sit on committees and have conversations um, and then at the end of it, after she's heard them out, the vote against whatever the dickish thing is. But uh, people on the farther left. No, I don't know if I have friends who are on the farther left. People. You know, they, somebody raised a good question on the Internet recently, but the the far left is a term of art that is used by both, I think, the media and 
the the Republicans. Mm -hmm. And the question that was raised, I thought was a really good one, is who is somebody who you consider to be on the left but not the far left? Yeah. Because uh, I don't think they have an answer to that. I think everyone who votes Democratic is now officially the far left. Yeah. Did they? So there wasn't like officially. It's it was. Just like, you know, it was a Twitter thing. It was yeah. a rhetorical question, but I think it was a good one. It's a. It's a. It's a fair question. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, so Diane Feinstein won that race, but it was pretty close. And I think one of the elements that it came down to was it had turned out that while they were both very anti-immigrant at the time, uh, both Diane Feinstein and uh, Huffington had employed illegal immigrants as uh, personal. Um, Really? Servants, for lack of a better word. But Diane Feinstein did it before it was explicitly illegal, and Huffington did not. He was breaking the law when he had an illegal immigrant personal servant. And Diane Feinstein... Like housekeeper, nanny, something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Either or. I don't remember which mm -hmm. for either of them. I think that they both... It was like cleaning ladies or something. Mm -hmm. uh, so Diane Feinstein was able to win that race. <laughs> I think largely based on being less hypocritical about it. Great. Not that she wasn't hypocritical about right. it because she was, mm -hmm. but not as bad as the guy she was running against. What's funny about that 1994 election, that is seen as the turning point in California state politics because now we're talking about a race where a Republican almost became the senator against a Democratic incumbent. Mm -hmm. And we had had Republican senators during the 80s. We had had Republican governors, all that sort of stuff. That ballot with that race for Senate, that proposition, 187, activated Latino voters in California nice. to an extent that now, here we are, 25 years later, almost, Republicans have no chance statewide anymore. Was and the and case it goes then... back to that election. Was the case in 1994 that um, uh, uh, Hispanic voters had conservative social values uh, because of the Catholicism? But, um, but that, that's were, a theory that I've heard before. Yeah, and I don't know if that like actually pans out because a lot of times you. It's more a matter of Latinos as a group not being as likely to vote. Okay, so it's not a matter of like, well, I don't like abortion, but I also. Uh, uh, don't like being, you know, the the scapegoat for everything that is right. wrong. I'm with not. The state. I'm not the problem in this state. Right. Let me show you how. Yeah. I think that the the other angle on Latinos don't vote is that compared to the other cohorts in the United States, Latinos are very young as a as a yeah. group. Like the median age is super young as compared to white people. And one thing that's true across all demographics is that it's the old people that vote regularly and the young people that don't. Yeah. So either most of a, a certain group of people are not old enough to vote yet, but they will be soon, or they're in their 20s and eh, maybe they'll show up, maybe they won't, but we can't say for sure. Mm -hmm. And so that was the, the tipping point for that group of voters to become a solid democratic constituency. Mm-hmm that has continued to vote going forward since then. Hmm. This is beginning to feel like a two-parter to me. Well, it's almost over. Okay, never mind. This is beginning to feel like we're almost a done. So it's an uh, we're almost done sort of thing. I have two more subject matters that I want to discuss. 
Should I keep my mouth shut or should I keep trying to derail you a little bit? Please keep derailing me. Great. The most famous proposition I think that we have in California, which is continuing to cause us problems to this very day, is Proposition 13. Yeah. Proposition 13, which, when it passed, passed with nearly a two-thirds majority. I think it was like 65% voted yes on this. I'm, I got some specific text on this one because it is there are nuances. a little bit tricky. Proposition 13 required that properties be taxed at no more than 1% of their full cash value shown on the 1975-1976 assessment rolls and limit annual increases of assessed taxable value to the inflation rate or 2%, whichever was less. Oh, I didn't know about that 19 mid-70s thing. I thought it was whenever you bought your house was the, the baseline. Well, if you had the... bought your house before then. Oh, okay, okay. Because taxes had been, you know, property values went up, taxes went up, taxes were increasing because we had to pay for stuff. Mm -hmm. And so there was a big backlash against property taxes specifically. The subheadline on Proposition 13, which doesn't get discussed a lot, it also limited the legislature's ability to enact new taxes on the sale of property. Oh, okay. So in a lot of ways for people that were homeowners in the mid-70s or owned any sort of property, property taxes have been encased in amber since then. And is that when that went on the ballot? Mm -hmm. Hmm. So that's been about, you know, 40 years. The properties are reassessed upon transfer of ownership. So old rich people are paying basically nothing mm -hmm. in taxes on their multi-million dollar houses. Young people who are buying their starter homes are paying current property value taxes, which property values in the state of California are very high. Yes. And so the disproportionate amount of tax being paid by first-time homeowners that are young people, you could be paying multiple times over what somebody is paying for a giant, far more expensive house. Right. And that person has far more means right. by which they could be paying those property taxes. But this law has basically locked in those rates for them. I, and that's not going to ever really benefit anybody who bought a house after the mid-70s. For sure. And it seems like in a lot of ways, like it makes sense when I'm looking at individual cases, like my grandma bought her house in sometime in the 60s. Um, she has been retired for a long time. She, you know, she's a retired school teacher. She's on a fixed income she would not be able to afford to stay in her house if she had to pay mm -hmm. the taxes on, you know, her Fountain Valley four or five bedroom home that yes. she bought for a song and dance before Fountain Valley was really a city. Right, back when it was all orange groves. I think it was asparagus fields. Hate to correct you on your own show. <laughs> no, that's that's fair. That's uh, true. That, that part of Orange County, because Huntington Beach was the same way. My grandparents also were... Yeah. Our, uh, my grandfather continues to be the only person who's ever owned his house, which is in Huntington Beach, maybe about a mile and a half from the actual beach. And if you look at photos from that time of when that tract of houses went up, there was this tract of houses surrounded by fields. Yeah. Don't know if it was asparagus, maybe it was strawberries, but <laughs> basically that's what so it was. There were like, some strawberries. People are finally going to start living here. Here's a house for $28,000. Yeah, I think my grandma paid twenty five. I'm not totally sure. Well, she wasn't as close to the beach. She was not as close to the beach. Uh, yeah, so she, you know, if, if she had to pay, God, that's got to be a million dollar house now. 
or close to I would, pushing it. I would it. guess it's probably right around there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she had to pay whatever the, the taxes are on that. She couldn't do it because she didn't have any money. Right. She's just got a nice house. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel like there's there's a pretty easy answer on how to fix that, which is also, the ability for somebody to pay the lower tax rate would be based on their current means. Yeah. And if you, so if you are a person who is a retired school teacher who bought your house in the 60s and now are living just on your pension and Social Security keep paying those low taxes yeah like what's your net if worth? you're some sort of robber baron who yeah. makes more money off Just of the like interest, your interest of your income. yeah of your savings account or your you know whatever your bonds are you probably don't need that benefit yeah also i want to uh publicly apologize to my grandma who will not listen to this podcast because she doesn't know what podcasts are but she came to california in the early 60s is from the midwest and would be horrified that i said how much i think she bought her house for in the 60s okay i won't tell her do not tell her that's a something that i'm sure we'll get into is the uh uh uh, midwestern sensibilities versus the the wild western sensibilities and sure and we'll definitely talk more about what your grandmother pays for things lord i hope so i don't know anything else though i just know she's got a house and that she was a she retired as a school teacher. Just that one matter of public record. Yes. Well, yeah, that's true. It is public record. Yeah. But I'm not saying her name, so nobody look her up. Fair play to you. The <laughs> last thing that uh, I wanted to discuss today, and we did refer to this earlier, is the recall process, which is an option in 18 United States. It has only ever been invoked in two of them. Was it? And it has us? only been successful in one of them. Oh, good for us. Yeah, North Dakota. Oh, really? They called the governor in the twenties, oh, oh. and I think it did not pass. But also, who cares? That was a hundred years ago. So it was, <laughs> and, and it was in North Dakota. This isn't North Dakota accent. That they do have a pretty specific accent up there. They do. I'm not going to try to do it. I, we didn't cover that in voice like class. Su- Southern Canadians, mm-hmm. kind of. In 2003, here in the Golden State of California, Gray Davis was our governor he had just been reelected in 2002 to serve his second term and actually i should restate uh lynn frazier in north dakota in 1921 was recalled oh really i yeah i put that in the notes there so this is only the second time a governor has ever been recalled i think there was a third attempt somewhere else that did not happen i'm curious 1921 was that a woman named lynn or a man named lynn i'm almost certain that that was a man named lynn good name lynn yeah i didn't look into that because again listen to the north dakota podcast if you want to know about that (laughs) uh and i cheekily put that gray davis being recalled in 2003 resulted in dutch schaefer from predator being elected governor of the state of california (laughs) yeah that seemed silly it was it was a two-parter i think you'll recall this where on this ballot well first i'll back up the the biggest reason that gray davis was recalled is that uh, people were disapproving of the state's budget deficit and at the same time disapproving that gray davis had revoked a lower vehicle registration fee that had been in place for a while Mm mm-hmm because of the state's budget deficit Mm -hmm. so they didn't like the deficit Mm -hmm. but then they really didn't like when he said all right well we'll i think it was tripling the registration fees back to what their previous levels had been yeah so not like not a new tax no no just taking just ending the sale right it was a it was a the sale ended Mm -hmm. we need money now 
this is a thing that we had done when we had money and we don't have it so I'm gonna need that $300 for your vehicle registration instead of $100 mm -hmm. people lost it I worked at Disneyland at the time for I don't know if I'd gotten my big raise yet so I might have still been making six dollars even an hour no i think that one i would think i was up to seven dollars and 12 cents an hour by yeah, then so here you are complaining about how much you're getting paid yeah um and i didn't feel like having my car registration go up two hundred dollars was enough of an issue for us to put the terminator into office sure I, I thought perhaps uh, I, I, I it would agreed. be good for the state and like maybe, you know, that it would take care of some potholes and my shitty car wouldn't, uh, you know, just come loose and have to be completely put back together every time I went over a bump. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was where I stood on it as a young person. Mm -hmm. There was uh, the additional issue that people had with Gray Davis was that there was an energy crisis statewide that was causing a lot of brownouts. That is and true. energy bills uh, had also as much as tripled. So tripling of people paying oh. things was sort of a theme that was oh, going yeah. on. Enron was involved in this somehow. What? Yeah. Which, in the brownouts? Yeah, because Enron was an energy company. Oh. And you know, we all know how that ended for Ken Lay and Enron. Oh. Which was oh. dissolution in jail, if I recall correctly. I forgot that Enron had anything to do with energy. I mm -hmm. thought they were just like shady investment pyramid scheme, Goldman Sachs financial. Well, the pyramid. Wells Fargo. The pyramid was an energy pyramid. Turned out. I forgot that that's what yeah. the end part was. Yeah. Uh, so those things combined uh, resulted in it's a two-parter when it comes to a recall. There is one question on the ballot of Do you want to recall the governor? Mm -hmm. And the second question is, if we do recall the governor, who should we replace him with? Mm. And it's and, the same ballot, right? Mm -hmm. It's not all, all in one ballot. So well, it that's wasn't the sort of thing, efficient. right? It wasn't the sort of thing where this week we're going to go decide whether we recall the governor. And if it says, you know, if it comes out yes, we're going to recall the governor, then there's another election, and people say, I would like to be the governor now that we're auditioning new people special elections are expensive to put on was there anything else on the ballot or was it just like no, hey everybody it. gather around that was it i think we're gonna we're gonna put on this uh i mean it may have been jammed together with like some propositions or something. or something like that you know because during that time you could do that mm -hmm. and so what happened was gray davis was in fact recalled and the most prominent republican on the ticket was arnold schwarzenegger who defeated his, the second place person was a guy called Cruz Bustamante. I remember Cruz Bustamante. Who was the Democratic lieutenant governor at the time. Yeah. And those were the two main people that was like, well, one of these guys is going to be the, the next governor. They were not the only two people on the ballot. There were, I think, 25 people on the ballot, uh -huh. including Gary Coleman. What? And a porn actress named Mary Carey. Uh-huh. I think I voted for Bustamante. Yes. And so, or I was going to, except that's where they didn't have my ballot because I was in Irvine. I don't know. I don't know. You're telling a lot of stories about I the am. selection. I know, I know I couldn't vote twice so right was, around that time. It was a very challenging time period for the state Democratic Party because what they tried to get people to vote for was vote no on the recall, yes on Bustamante to replace Gray Davis should the recall actually go through. 
And I think the really muddied, muddied those waters. Yeah, nice the, and, the lack nice of, of clarity about that message combined with people not wanting to pay for their vehicle registration fees going up and being pissed off about the brownouts and their power bills going up. Like, let's just put the last action hero in charge of this. Might as well. Might as well. He didn't do a shit poor job as governor. It went better than the people who were concerned about it going yes. uh, expected. I didn't expect, I mean, I was a young person who didn't know as many things as I needed to know. I just didn't expect him to, to meet the task with as much seriousness as oh, I wanted. Yes. Uh, Arnold did take the job very seriously. He did take and the job very seriously. He uh, was a Republican and is a Republican to this very day, but he was a moderate Republican, which even... You know, because we talk about in 1994, there's that big sea change where mm-hmm. California starts going very solidly Democratic. During that time, the things that Arnold Schwarzenegger was for as a Republican were still pretty palatable to most Democrats. Yeah, because he he is and was still a big environmental activist as a, yes. as a for instance. So he's like, I'm not going to do a Schwarzenegger impersonation, but but if one of his big things is, okay, well, what we got to do is make sure that the air is clean because we've always had, especially in our big cities in California, air purity issues. We need to work on that. We need to make sure that the beaches and the ocean water is clean, all that kind of stuff. We need to protect national forests. You know, after a while, most Californians are like, I mean, yeah, I agree with all that stuff. Yeah. All, right, all right, I'll vote for Schwarzenegger. That I sounds fun. Th- I think he kind of, in some ways, spoiled me for the notion of uh a republican celebrity coming into power because i had that feeling of like well this feels like it's going to be terrible but i've sort of been down this road before and it wasn't terrible it was a i don't know what you're referring to right now no no oh, okay well you know because jerry brown is the current governor again sure and you know not but i'm not talking about just governors oh right okay we're talking about different political yeah. offices that are currently yeah held by because because you know celebrities that that wasn't my like the schwarzenegger was not my favorite election result but you know so then i had some policies that were not my favorite policies but it was fine and so that's kind of just how i had uh decided that future elections where I didn't quite get my preferred way would be like, I'm not going to like it a ton, but like, it'll be fine. It'll probably be fine. If it's not fine, we'll do a recall. Can you do a presidential recall? There is not a (sighs) a mechanism for a presidential recall. Can we get one? It would require an amendment to the constitution, which would need to be ratified by two thirds of both the house and the Senate and three quarters of the states. So you're saying I can't just go get enough signatures door to door. No, my recommendation to you would be between now and two weeks from now, do some electioneering on behalf of some Democrats for the Mm. house and the Senate. You know what I'm going to do? Postcards for voters. You go to postcardsforvoters.org. I want that that to be something like postcards for vote cards or posters for voters. And I like this one because you use whatever postcards you have uh, that are sort of vaguely patriotic or neutral or something. Sure, well, you can send them some of your in and out postcards or your your California State Park postcards, really tie it into the theme. Uh huh. And you send just a friendly handwritten reminder to someone in a swing district. Mm hmm. 
uh, as a concerned neighbor or, you know, cross the country neighbor. And uh, you're not really bugging anybody. I really like that because I'm not going to start calling. Lord. No, it doesn't seem like a thing that you're going to do. All right. So that is the story of direct democracy in California. Good story. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and we'll be back next week with a yet-to-be-determined topic about California. I've already determined it. Oh, do you want to you want to drop a drop a teaser? Yeah, I want to do uh, what we were going to do last time and get over get into our California origin ah, stories. Ah, so you're expecting that I'm going to talk to my mom about this? Talk to your mom or your or your grandpa. Or who? Just it doesn't matter who. They are both incommunicado in the Caribbean right now. Uh, so I'll see what I can do. They'll be back before next Wednesday. Uh, okay. All right. So thanks for listening, everybody, and stay tuned and find out what happens next week on California Accent. Evening breeze seems to say time to be on your way down where the sun goes down. And if you're late, she will wait right beside the garden gate, down where the sun goes down. Just you erase from your face that old frown, for they'll be smiles to welcome you. Oh, Mr. Bluebird is hanging around to sing his song of welcome to that little chat round the bend. Means that's where your trouble ends. Down where the sun.